to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Rand. And I am Dr. G. We're very excited to be back. Indeed, back in the saddle again. Oh yeah, <laughs> like a proper Roman equity. Hey. <laughs> so we are currently tracing the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Mm. And we are moving about as fast as your average garden snail. <laughs> <laughs> as fast as the Romans. Nay, faster, because sometimes we get through a whole year in one episode. I know, I know. We revel in the details listeners we revel in the details we see a huge pile of details and we throw ourselves into them and we roll around that's tough i mean that's the historian way i think so where are we exactly up to i think we need a maybe a minute or so of orientation to get ourselves back into the groove i know it feels like a long time since we last recorded an episode i'm gonna blame that (laughs) on the current situation wink wink (laughs) We are still living, at the time of recording, in the time of COVID-19. Exactly. That is your historical marker for future reference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we're not supposed to say those sorts of things because then people know forever that this is when we were recording, but it's a pretty significant moment in world history, so I feel like everyone listening to this for like the next 50 years will remember (laughs) this time in history, yeah. Okay, so, as usual, Dr. G, uh, there's been some tensions both internal and external. I mean, that's really what this, this decade of the 450s is all about, I have decided. Uh, we're often talking about the law against the law, uh, the law about the law, sorry, not the law against the laws. That would be weird. <laughs> um, and so that causes a lot of the internal tension. But of course, Rome is not this great superpower at, uh, at this point in time. And so it's also got to deal with, you know, the bitty fighting that goes on in its borders and in other other regions. Yeah, it's trying to establish its position in like mm. the pecking order of Italian towns of which they are one. Yeah. Um, and they're surrounded by other peoples who are speaking slightly different dialects and yeah. languages um, and with significantly different legacies to their own at this point. So even though there are some similarities between a lot of these what are sort of sort of functional city states at this stage, there's a lot of jostling and backwards and forwards, um, mm, which definitely. we're getting a lot of in yeah. this decade. <laughs> definitely. And it, it's kind of like a vicious uh, vicious circle in that when the Romans need to go into battle for some reason, that means that they have to hold a levy, which usually sparks some resentment or some problems because people are feeling like they don't want to serve if their interests aren't being looked after, apparently. Uh, in terms of the domestic situation. Um, and so we, we've kind of been trapped in this uh, this cycle, which, I mean, there are variations, but that's roughly what we've been tracking over for the past few episodes. Yeah, yeah. and certainly from our narrative sources, Livy and Dionysius of Halicarnassus are really focusing in on this rivalry between the patricians, which are considered to be these elite figures, mm. and the plebeians, who are the soldiers doing the fighting, essentially, but yeah. also, like, your person on the street um, going about doing physical labour and things like that. Mm. So the glue that holds society together, essentially. Yeah. Um, and and in, being in the 450s, as we currently are, we're building up to a pretty... What has often been seen as a pretty significant moment in Rome's history but definitely in the story between the patricians and the plebeians, whether rightly or wrongly. Oh, foreshadowing. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, but we're, we're not quite there yet. But that's that's why I feel like in the 50s we're definitely keep harking back to this law about the laws and, and the continuing issues that that poses on a domestic front. Oh, well, you're going to be in for a treat this episode because that falls off the agenda Big time. Excellent. <laughs> tell me, tell me, what is Dionysius up to? Because I know that poor Dr. G has had pages and pages <laughs> to read, whereas I have had very little as usual. So much, so much reading. God bless um, So it's very exciting. So, I mean, as a sort of a quick lead into this, mm. we've, we've just dealt with sort of uh, 457, mm. and this is the fallout after the dictatorship of Cincinnatus. Yes. And in 457, they decided to increase the number of tribunes of the plebs from about five to about ten. Ooh, so it was like, ooh. So now there's more of these dudes, but it was very important that the old ones didn't serve in the next year. So it's yeah. a, you get a fresh crop of ten new tribunes. <laughs> Uh, we don't know who any of these characters are, but boy, are they excited to be around. Um, so it's now 456 BC, and our consuls are Marcus Valerius, mm-hmm. uh, Maximus uh, Lake-Tuca, yeah. uh, who was quaestor in 458, apparently, nice. um, and prosecuted the tribunes as false witnesses, so... Mm, very nice, very that nice. guy. Yep. And Spurius Virginius. Ah, now this feels like a familiar name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, his dad was consul in 494. Mm, yes. Yeah, yes. so we're starting to see the generational legacies starting to play out and families Absolutely. building their reputation. Yeah, like his extended name is unpronounceable <laughs> <laughs> Tricostus Caliomontanus. Um, I'm just going to call him Hannah Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. It looks like this means that his family is from the Kalian Mount. That may be so. Nonetheless, <laughs> what a mouthful. <laughs> it is. And that's how he likes to be known. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got some new consuls. I've and... actually got some names for some tribunes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I've got one uh, Achilles and one Alienus. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, look, I have Achilles, and I would say, listeners, that this is a name to remember. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Keep this one in your box of memories. <laughs> um, he's going to become important. Definitely. <laughs> Anywho, I interrupted you. So we've got our consuls. We do have our consuls. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly, it's mostly going to be about civil strife this year. Mm. Um, not external struggle, but internal problems. Well, look, I may as well tell you up front, Dr. G, I've got precious little to tell you today. Um, So I know that some of the issues are outside of human control Mm -hmm. in the sense that, according to Livy, there is some hardship because there is a shortage in the corn supply because there is too much rain. Too much rain? Yeah, cause some crop damage, apparently. Mm. Mm. Yes. Um... And there is one other thing I can tell you, but only one other thing I can tell you. And I think it has something to do with why you are getting excited about Achilles. So I'm going to save that. Okay. All in right. In my pocket for later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of the things. Yeah. We'll save the second. Okay. So we've got the tribunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 10 of them. Achilles is the only one that I get a name for for okay. this year. Um, and he immediately does what I would call a policy pivot. Okay. Um, okay. Because the tribunes up until now, there have been five of them, and they've been very focused on the law about the laws. Definitely. They really want this transparency. Yeah. Like, you got to make the law code obvious. 
Now, Achilles, he's a new Tribune, fresh crop. There's now 10 of them. He's very excited. He's like, guys, what about land allotment? Yes, this is my other detail. Yes, yes. Okay, good. We're on the same page. So this is shifting back to a policy objective that the Tribune seem to have had for about 30 years um, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, but really fell by the wayside in recent years as we had a rotation of Tribunes who continued to hold the position of the Tribunitianship yeah. year on year as they really pushed for this law about the laws. Yeah. Although I do feel like there is a vague connection between them in terms of what lies behind them. And that is, of course, I mean, this is why the tribunes are spearheading these sorts of things. It obviously is about the well-being of the plebs in terms of they need, I mean, one of the pressing issues that we see bubble up every now and then is the question of debt bondage or financial hardships, um, which are falling, obviously, disproportionately on the plebs. I mean, patrician, debt budget. Make me laugh. Um, yeah. So, obviously, land, particularly in a society like this at this point in time, is crucial to that financial well-being. And the law about the laws is obviously making sure that whatever decisions are being made are transparent. And, um, and as you say, that you know, there's access to knowledge about what is happening. It's all in like a centralized place, blah, blah, blah. So I feel like there's that, there's that thread of, of the well-being of the plebs being at the heart of these issues. Yeah, the body yeah. politic and yeah. how does it function. And can a body politic function if it doesn't understand its own legislation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the tribunes are really pursuing a lot of this because they need to be able to have a clear point for their own mandates as well mm. so if the plebeians are educated it increases the capacity of the tribunes as magistrates to really uh, argue for particular things because people have a knowledge behind them and understand why they're arguing for them yeah they can see the benefit to themselves through their own education yeah it's all coming back to education uh, so important <laughs> <laughs> so important <laughs> not to be done remotely apparently uh, anyway uh, so Achilles uh, is like, let's do a new thing. Um, he's really interested in getting the Aventine um, divided amongst the plebeians for the building of houses. Ah, yes, this is my other detail. There you go. You've got it out of me. <laughs> You've winkled it out of me. Um, We're already 10 minutes in. Yes. <laughs> well, as I said, unfortunately, Livy is bizarrely brief <laughs> at this point in time. So the Aventine is one of the famous hills of Rome. Of the seven <laughs> that are famous. <laughs> and there are definitely more than seven. It's just It just depends on what time and place we're thinking about. Yeah. They're the famous ones, though. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so really all Libby tells me is that there is a law passed that opens the Aventine up to settlement. But something tells me that Dionysius tells you exactly how that happens. Um, <laughs> not only does he tell me how that happens, but the whole thing is steeped in controversy. Okay. Um, so... First of all, I'll, I'll take you through Dionysius, but I want to preface this by saying that scholars of this period argue deeply about what is going on in this passage of history. Uh, when is that not the case? <laughs> look, I mean, often it is the case, yeah. but this in particular, and there are a couple of like uh, details that start to stick out as you go through where you're like, Wait a minute, even I, as a late Republican historian, have some <laughs> questions about this early Republican history. Yes, yes. Um, 
So he gets up and he's like, yeah, let's have the Aventine. Yeah, let's have it for the plebeians. Public land, everybody. The Agar Publicus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want some of that. Um, so he goes to the consuls uh, and to the Senate. And he's like, let's have a preliminary vote on this. The consuls keep putting it off. Mm-hmm. They're like, nah, 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 don't worry about it. You know, let's see what the year holds. You never know, we might have to do a levy. Classic <laughs> consul stalling technique. Yeah. Um, Achilles is not happy with this. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm being fobbed off. He sends his attendant. Now, this is the first time in my understanding of reading this source material that the attendants of the tribunes have been mentioned. Yeah. But they do have them. Um, this, they could be any kind of servant figure. So they could be free. They might be a slave. Okay. It's hard to know. Um, these kinds of attendants are also the people that could be co-opted into being lictors. Mm. Um, if you had that kind of magistracy. Yes. Anyway, so he sends one of his attendants. Um that and he sends those to the consuls and says and orders that they should follow him that is the attendant to the office of the tribunes and call together the senate so achilles has delegated ordering the consuls around to his attendant i was gonna say that's that's ballsy (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. attend me (laughs) yes uh and they're like who's that guy um so the consuls are like lictors Drive away that man. <laughs> Not interested in what that so Lictors, attack, attack, a V formation. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if he can ask me to do that. Drive him off. <laughs> this does not impress uh, no. the tribunes at all. No. They then have the Lictor seized. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's using their classic. <laughs> Honestly, you could tell the history of this like they're X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that my power is that I am untouchable. <laughs> I can touch you, but you can't touch me. Just <laughs> <laughs> crying out for its own version of like Dungeons and Dragons or something. <laughs> yeah. So they have the Lictor seized and they lead him away um, under the proviso that he is going to be thrown from the Tarpeian Rock. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Escalation. Yeah. Yeah. That, that escalated quickly, was yeah. this. This is a, yeah, this is a pretty serious way of executing someone. <laughs> Just in case you hadn't gathered that from the whole throne from a rock thing this is one of the most serious ways that you can execute somebody it's pretty public the rock is pretty obvious nobody wants to fall off that it's it's a spiky outcrop yeah um, and it's named after someone who supposedly betrayed rome yes yeah yeah it's designed for treason and execution yeah um the whole thing is bad yeah it doesn't look good the consoles are necessarily upset yes um they're like but my lick dog <laughs> <laughs> i just picked him up last week <laughs> also i'm insulted how, like how dare you i mean you, you sent an attendant i was already insulted i responded to that insult and now you're insulting me again yeah um it's a double insult at this point and it's more of a problem for the consuls because they can't actually use any force to rescue the man because mm the other tribunes start to get involved and there's 10 of them now and you can't touch the body of a tribune. That's part of the deal. Yeah. Um, so if you've got 10 tribunes surrounding one dude, you can't get to that guy. Amazing. But it's almost as if the tribunes are using their power for terrible things because, well, yeah. because the Lictor himself must is presumably not a patrician. 
Well, yeah. Aren't they generally plebeians at this point in time? They might be a plebeian and potentially a slave, although it's unlikely that you would give the office of a lictor to a slave, but maybe you would. Um, So things are looking pretty messy. I feel like they are letting their ego (laughs) go These guys have been in office for, like, literally three days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they've... Then they're definitely the kind of people that came in going, I need to make my mark. Yeah. I'm a new kind of tribune. Yeah, exactly. And this is really interesting because then uh, Dionysius gives us this information about the tribunes, which really provides a, a solid contradiction to the kind of rhetoric that was coming through from the patricians from the year before. Okay. So apparently, according to Dionysius... The tribunes had all decided early on when they accepted the new magistracy, these 10, that they would not be split apart in any way. As in they would be unified in their policies? Yes. Right. They would have to come to a majority decision within their own body about how to act. That does make sense. Mm. Mm. And they took special oaths in secret. Um, oh. and made special sacrifices oh. in order to reinforce that, which I think must have been in secret, because I, if I think about the way that Dionysius positioned the narrative of the previous year, a lot of the rhetoric coming from the patricians was like, we should just let them have ten, because then there's more to corrupt. Yes, so he's really set this up to be, this was the evil plan, but, <gasps> but... they've defeated it. <laughs> By their damned unity. Yeah, and it seems really unlikely that the patricians or or the Senate would have allowed ten tribunes um, to come into force if they were going to publicly make a oath to each other that they would be unified in their outlook. No, you're totally right. That's exactly what they were planning. That's why we we were so like, oh, but uh, (laughs) last episode, because it seemed like a nice gesture, but the motives were all wrong. All wrong, all wrong. (laughs) So Um, there's something really messed up with this narrative. And we know, and we've said this all along, our narrative sources are kind of open to question at all times for this early period of Rome's history. Totally. And this just seems to be like maybe another factor to keep in mind at this stage because this is getting murky. It's not at all clear why people are doing the things that they are doing. No. But it does, I mean, it does make sense to me that this is the kind of stuff that's happening because... One of the big issues with our sources is that they are so late um, that, and even this, even the sources that they were relying on were written well after these events had happened. Um, and we, we don't really know what those sources said, but we know that they existed. <laughs> That's about it. Um, but certainly one of the things that we feel must be influencing the whole narrative, you know, which is a lengthy one, of this conflict of the orders, this struggle between the patricians and the plebeians, are issues that have come at, at a much later stage, which have kind of coloured the way that Livy and Dionysius are going to see these events. So all the stuff that happens with land allotment and the Gracchi, you know, in the sort of mid to late Republic, all of that is going to be um, very much framing the way that Livy and Dionysius set up the plebeian-patrician conflict. So, yeah, it... It's feeling a little like one of those moments where I'm like, danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> Are we getting a parallel narrative that's talking back to a later period of Roman history? Anything around land a lot, but I start to get a little twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And certainly, like, it's a, it's a strong position um, taken by many scholars that a lot of this early narrative stuff that's written in the late Republic is mirroring other stuff from the mid to late Republic yes. rather than actually giving us a proper account of the early Republican period, which it's supposed to be referring to. Yeah. And this is going to become even more uh, questionable and... Uh, confusing the further we get into this year. Yeah. Uh, so they eventually, uh, the Tribunes decide to release this man, this Lictor that they've arrested, yeah. before they chuck him off the rock. Poor little Lictor. Yay! Yeah. He lives. <laughs> um, they were worried about the odium, the hatred that they might incur yeah, for yeah. going through with this. Fair enough. Some of, some of the older senators start to weigh in, being like, could you possibly not throw this Lictor off a rock? <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be going a little bit too far. Surely we could chat. <laughs> I love it. Uh... <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and part of the issue here seems to be the idea that um, the tribunes wanted to stay away from the possibility that they would be the first in Roman history to punish a man by death for obeying the orders of a magistrate. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like that Lictor is caught up in a situation that really doesn't merit his death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he has been a pawn in a bigger game. Precisely, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's sort of just going to like, you know, pee his pants on the way to the tarpe and rock surrounded by all these tribunes and then be let go and be like, ha, 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 And then spent the next two months in therapy. <laughs> um, poor, poor Lictor. <laughs> So, anyway, after this, the, the Senate does agree to meet, um, and the consuls are like, sure. <laughs> you took me into it. You twisted my arm, and the lictor's arm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the tribunes and the consuls are there. So the tribunes are allowed into this meeting. Uh, the consuls uh, accuse the tribunes of heinous behaviour, um, say that they've been terrible. And Achilles then gets to speak as well, and he attempts to justify... The tribune's actions. Mm. He's like, look, there was resentment at play against the lictor. You know, they talked about, he talks about the sacred laws that don't permit a, a magistrate or a private citizen to offer opposition to a tribune. He's like, right. yeah, you should have just given way. Yeah. We asked you to come to this meeting. You shouldn't have fobbed us off. Um, yeah, but still, you know, there's <laughs> etiquette and there's... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like, I was just trying to convene the Senate, just trying to have a chat, all you had to do was agree. Just wanted to get together, guys. Yeah, yeah, and look, we're here now, mm. which is nice, but, mm. you know, this could have been done a lot faster, let's face it. Yeah, yeah. Did it have to go this way? And then he's like, so, the topic that I really wanted to talk about, since we're all here, <laughs> is this realignment of the land. <laughs> and the Senate are like, we're in, we are so in a good mood to talk about this. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You caught us at the right time. We're feeling generous. <laughs> the Senate's like, mm. <laughs> the collective groaning, being like, oh, here we go. And he's like, look, you know, it's the general trouble that we all know about. You know, there's a whole bunch of public land and you guys are sitting on it. Mm. And all we're saying is that it just needs to be reassessed and allotted out. Yeah. And... This gets really quite interesting at this point, and I will probably just read from Dionysius because the details are important. Yeah. Um, so after answering these accusations, he proceeded to introduce his law concerning the hill. It was to this effect. All the parcels of land held by private citizens, if justly acquired, 
should remain in the possession of the owners. But such parcels as had been taken by force or fraud by any persons and built upon should be turned over to the populace and the present occupants reimbursed for their expenditures according to the appraisal of the arbitrators. Mm. All the remainder belonging to the public, the populace should receive free of cost and divide up amongst themselves. So there are three levels to this law. Yeah. And this law ends up getting known by the name of the Lex Aquilia de Aventino Publicando. Yes, I did come across that name when I was doing some reading. <laughs> Most scholars are very unhappy about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a quite a bit to unpick here. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of the land deserves to be handed back to the public because yeah. I mean, part of the problem seems to be that, I mean, what does the Abertine really mean in this period of Roman history? Mm. And we're not sure that it necessarily means that much. This seems to be a huge post-late Republican onwards retrojection into the what is the Aventine. Right. Um, and trying to establish its history. Okay. Um, our archaeological... Um, reference points for what's going on in the Avatine don't suggest that it ever becomes like this huge haven for just plebeians. It's always a mixed use. Oh sure. Yeah, site. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um so there's there's well, just because you're a plebeian does not mean you're a good person. Uh, just because you're a plebeian doesn't mean you're poor. Um, <laughs> actually I actually feel like I particularly remember the Aventine when it was first acquired, like didn't they set up a jail there once upon a time? Uh, <laughs> I remember it because it always reminds me of that Bedknobs and Broomsticks song. Eventine, Eventine. <laughs> yeah, anyway. And the Romans dancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I see them in their turnovers being like, jazz hands. Jazz hands, guys. Yeah, circle, circle. <laughs> it's Rome. It's yeah. into Rome. We're looking down at the city itself. <laughs> this is a great view. So we've got this situation where it's like, the law itself seems quite complicated. Okay. And... Scholarship from um, sort of like within the last sort of five years has really um, delved into this idea of what does it really mean to have a law of this kind of complexity mm. at this time in history? Mm. Because, spoiler alert, listeners, <laughs> we're almost at the 12 tables. Which is the big one. As Which far is as the, the big Roman one. the law is concerned, that's the that, mother. That is, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the payload. Yeah. But those laws are composed in a very particular type of Latin. Right. Yeah. And the kind of clauses that Dionysius is giving us here, some scholars would argue, are way more complicated for the level of Latin and the style of Latin that is at play in this early Republican period. Interesting. But, but, and this is really, this is not like a, a counterpoint, this is just something I'm throwing in. What we do know of the Twelve Tables, which aren't complete, of course, um, is that it's very bound up with this idea of private property. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that there is that there is a law like this which is very concerned with you know who owns what and who's allowed to be where and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, this seems to be the right kind of law. Yeah, for this period. Yeah. For this period. Yeah, and it shouldn't surprise any of us at this point because this has been like a 30 year plus agenda on well, public land redistribution. <laughs> and for the taste, I mean, as you, like, as we've just pointed out, 
this is an agrarian society, and so land is always going to be important. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, it is important, and who gets to have it and how they get to use it mm. um, is leading to a lot of conflict, yeah. particularly as we've seen over the last sort of like 10 years or so, Rhodes has yeah. been in almost sort of continuous warfare with its neighbours. Absolutely. But there's been a lot of land acquisition. Mm. But it has there has not been any clarity about the distribution of lands acquired. No. Not apart from, you know, the occasional, we're forcing people to go and live in a colony that... <laughs> kind of far away by our standards. Welcome to our team. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you guys have to sit here so that no one else takes the spot. Yeah, and so we've got what appears to be, like, growing complexity. Mm. And if the Avatine is involved in the way that Dionysius is suggesting it might be here, then the problem lies really close to home as well as further afield. Mm. It's not just about lands acquired because the Avatine is definitely... Rome. Yes. It is part of the city. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And so this is an issue that's affecting Rome domestically and beyond its own sort of boundaries as well. Mm. So, weirdly, perhaps, the Senate agrees to this mm. redistribution of the uh, Avatar. Maybe the whole Lichter thing really shook them. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should throw people into this more often. <laughs> It's really uh, helping our agenda. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The threats! The threats of violence! It's really raised our profile. <laughs> it will perhaps come as no surprise to you that Gaius Claudius is the senator who opposes the law. Naturally. Claudians are known for being a-holes as far as the, the rights of Claudians are concerned. So, and I've uh, labelled that as classic Claudian. Totally. <laughs> and... We end up having then what follows a centuriate assembly. Right. So a committee, centuriata. Yeah. Um, they're in their tribes, right? This is in their tribes. Yeah. So eligible citizens organized into military groups, essentially. Yeah. So this used to be tribal, but there's like some sort of hazy ground where that becomes like military mm. tribal things. Um, they meet on the campus marshes. This is just like a recap on the, on the committee <laughs> at this point. There is a timocratic structure. Ooh, I'm very impressed with myself for that one. Yeah, possession of property required. Um, well, that's just it. I mean, that's where the military stuff comes in, isn't it? It's like what you can afford to pay for in terms of your own equipment. Yeah. So, can you afford a horse? No. Yeah. pile. <laughs> but importantly, this means that the people who have land get to vote before the people who don't have land exactly. on a law about land. Yeah. Mm. It's all about land and wealth, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Um, so it's a bit of an unequal, balanced... Uh, completely unequal. <laughs> ...situation. <laughs> but nevertheless, this passes. And this is also leads into another fascinating detail from Dionysius of Halconassus, because you don't get these often either. Okay. But he does say that not only is the law ratified, uh-huh. um, but it is inscribed on a column of bronze, oh. which is set up on the Avatine, wow. and seems to be located in the sanctuary of Diana. Interesting. Yes. Okay, a column of bronze. A column of bronze. Mm. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by this detail because it suggests it implies that there is a piece of epigraphic evidence that may have been outstanding. He doesn't say that he saw it. 
Yeah. That's important. I was going to say, I don't suppose you're going to tell me that we found said column. Oh, I looked. No, we haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Getting excited for a second. No, I was very excited about the possibility. (laughs) Maybe we found this, but of course we haven't. I would would be expecting maybe like like a tablet, you know, like a... An inscription on yeah. a wall or something, but yeah, a column of bronze. A column of bronze, yeah, yeah. Uh, stands Fancy. out. Yeah, looks, yeah. looks good. Um, yeah, no, we don't have any agrarian uh, laws in inscriptions until much later. Mm. Uh, so unfortunately, we can't confirm whether that was a thing or not. Mm. But this is a moment where Dionysius at least suggests that there's the possibility that there might have been some other evidence that he was relying on for this account. Gotcha, yeah. Um, I find it so bizarre that Livy has given me so little on uh-huh. this event. But as you say, it's maybe it's because it lacks some of the drama in the terms that the law is passed. Yeah, and I think potentially this gives us some insight into the differences between how later historians see value in mm. certain material yeah whereas historians closer to the events maybe do not yeah because this passage um from Dionysius gets a lot of scholarly attention right and there's some good reasons why like the name of the law is weird the fact that he makes reference to there being a bronze column and the fact that the law seems complicated, but people feel like it must be related to a later narrative of mm. uh, Roman history rather than the period that we're actually in. There's lots of room to debate around it, and scholars have really latched onto it. But Livy, Livy doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is a small stepping stone in a much larger story, and I'm getting to the good stuff, friends. Livy is just dying <laughs> to get to the 12 chapters. He's like, this law is just a stepping stone. Whereas Dionysius has really, he has spent a little bit of time on it. Although, to be fair, not as much time on this as he will spend on other things that scholars later on care less about. Yeah. Um, Well, and and, uh, the way that Livy's account is sort of set up is that the next couple of years are really truncated and he kind of, the events just kind of bleed into each other a little bit. More than more than usual, like I joke about Livy being brief, but this is on another level. Um, so it is interesting that he sees these years as being very, you know, things he can just sort of travel through quite quickly. But I, I think it's because he is aware that the twelve tables are coming. Yeah, yeah. So I think for for me that kind of wraps up four fifty six. I, I wish I could say I had something to add, but I really don't. Although, hey, I did notice you didn't mention a shortage in the corn supply. There were, no, there's no mention of yes. any shortage in the corn supply. Yes. So. <laughs> Livy triumphs in some minor detail. <laughs> he does. All right. So that means that we are wrapping up our episode and we are getting to the partial pick. I have forgotten my sound effect for today, so Dr. G has obliged <laughs> filling in for Igor. I mean, sound effect? What? Igor. I meant Igor. I left him at home. Yeah, he's in isolation too. Um, so we have a few categories to rate the Romans by. Let us start with military clout. There is absolutely nothing, so that's a zero. Oofed. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Zero. It's not going to I can already tell this is not going to be a good year. <laughs> Diplomacy. Okay, well, I'm not sure if throwing someone <laughs> off a cliff is diplomatic. What if I get the law passed by threatening to kill a lictor? <laughs> but, 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 after that, there is obviously 
I mean, relatively smooth negotiation, I guess. Yeah, if it, as long as we forget the uh, accordion uh, opposition, everything sure, goes well sure. after that, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, diplomacy doesn't mean that everybody has to agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just means that things get sorted. Mm. Um, look, I'd give them maybe like a... I don't know, two or three? Wow, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I was thinking three, but then you're like, it's just about getting stuff done, and I'm like, oh, that could be a four. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I mean, is in the Claudian thing, but yeah, I, I think a three. Let, let, okay, let's say three. All, right. all right, and I give it a three as well, all okay. right. Are you adding this up? I hope so. I am adding oh, this excellent. up, yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I only need my hands, so... <laughs> <laughs> Got my fingers ready. So far, finger yep. guns. Yeah. All right, expansion. There is none. So no. once again, my fingers remain <laughs> on one hand. <laughs> All right, and then Weirtus. Oh, it's a tough one. I don't feel like there's really a lot of that on display. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that any of this could really classify. I mean, sure, there's some ballsy moves happening, but I think that... They could just, all be more manly, couldn't they? We're just about <laughs> more than that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think... I don't think just generally being ballsy and taking some risks and gambles, mostly with the life of a lictor, <laughs> um, I don't think that counts. All right. Well, before you weigh in on the citizen score, okay. the thing I need to tell you okay. is that the law gets passed and Dionysius tells us that the rest of the year is just taken up with the redistribution of the Aventine and people building homes. Okay. Are you saying this because of Weirtus or because of the citizen score? I'm saying that uh, it might be worth factoring in when you think about how much you want to offer to the citizen score. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Um, well, look, that sounds actually amazing. I, I think that that's got to be, that's got to be up there. I mean, I, I would say, like, maybe a seven? You could get a house, guys. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. I mean, actually having any sort of win, mm. regardless of the backstory, uh, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be going, like, a seven. All right. Yeah. Yeah, look, for me, I think that's... I feel like this is, like, an eight or a nine, because I'm like, I feel like this no, is the first like, time in a long time I've had any kind of win. Let's go eight. I think we could go eight. Eight. Which Ooh. means that we have a grand total out of a possible 50 golden eagles... Of 11! <laughs> That's right. It's 11 golden eagles for you, Rome. Congratulations. I swear the citizens did really well this year. That's probably one of the highest citizen scores I think we've ever had. Mm. I, I mean, I'd have to check, but I, I feel like that is... It is not often we go over five for a citizen score. So you know what? 11 may not be a great total, but considering that the bulk of that is made up with the citizens being happy and not warfare, that's a That's a win. That's a that's big a win. win. All right, well, thank you for filling me in on all that stuff, Dr. G, and reading all those pages, whereas I got to kick back and read two sentences. <laughs> oh, it's been a real pleasure. <laughs> Hello, dear listeners. It's Dr. G here. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another exciting episode of The Partial Historians. We are hoping that you're staying safe and well wherever you are in the world. We'd like to send our special thanks to our patrons. Thank you so much, Adri, Alejandro, Dana, Joel, Justine, Mark, Paul, Roman, Savannah, Sharon, Sean, Tamara, Theodore, and Zara. Your support makes this all worthwhile, and we really appreciate that everybody is going through tough times. So choosing to share your support with us 
it really, it really, we have no words for it. Thank you. If you're interested in keeping in touch with the Partial Historians wherever we are, you can check out our website, partialhistorians.com. And we're also active on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All the best. <laughs>